We have been in contact with so many patients that um, although many have said they've done um, a lot of reading, have done a lot of web searches on Google, um, or have had um, information from families or friends, or have attended some sort of childbirth class, when they've presented to the floor, they still seem to either have a lot of misinformation because of all the information that's out there on, or people telling new parents or expected parents, oh, this happened, this happened, this mm. happened. This is not going to be your labor story. You create your story when your labor happens. It's your baby coming through your body with the powers of your contractions, and therefore it's individualized. And so Often, people go through life-changing experiences without any guidance. But what if you had the tools available to help you in your journey? I welcome you to the Misguided Notions podcast. Our mission is to create a space where we discuss thought-provoking topics with people that go through real-life experiences. My goal is to inspire, empower, and help build awareness to a number of issues that our society doesn't really talk about. So listen in, engage in conversation, and if you'd like, share your story. That clip you just heard are from two guests, Antoinette and Helen, from Fledgling Families. They co-created Fledgling Families along with a group of other healthcare professionals in order to provide childbirth education for expectant parents. I find that a lot of women go through many different aspects of maternal health related issues that they don't really address. And I feel that it's because of our society. Perhaps we don't really enforce discussions related to certain things. I mean, for example, it just seems to me a woman has a baby, you know, or they may have had issues throughout their pregnancy and things like that. But there seems to be this business as usual mentality. Like, despite all that you went through, life goes on. And I had questions about things like miscarriages, postpartum depression, having mental illness, and having to be pregnant. I just had all these questions, so I thought, why not have these two women, Antoinette and Helen, who have years and years of experience with regard to labor and delivery, and just overall maternal health, and I thought they offered a lot of value and a lot of great insight. I broke this interview into two parts, so this is part one of maternal health and wellness, with Antoinette and Helen. We are here with two very special guests from an organization called Fledgling Families, Helen and Antoinette. Please introduce yourselves. Antoinette, tell us about yourself. Hi, um, my name is Antoinette Grant, AKA Tony. I am a labor and delivery nurse by, I guess, specialty. Um, high risk. Uh, I've been a nurse for 25 years in maternal child health. Um, have done a little of everything. 
from management to a little pediatric ICU um, to the passion, which is labor and delivery. Um, that's me in a nutshell. Okay. And Helen? What a wonderful nutshell. <laughs> and my name is Helen O'Keefe. I trained as a midwife in England and then worked for about two years after I completed my training. And that was pretty much all in the normal. And I then came to New York and started working in a labor and delivery unit here in 1990. And because I like to know the people I work with, I'm still in the same labor and delivery unit, giving care daily on a daily basis to people who are having normal deliveries and people with a lot of medical issues who are having their babies. And I, like Tony, love labor and delivery. Um, and that is me. <laughs> okay, very good. So what was the inspiration for your organization? And what, um, well, not just the, inspiration for it but how can expectant I feel like it's a two-part question but how can expectant parents benefit from an organization like yours okay. so tell us about it first I guess okay so <laughs> so fledgling families is a child we are a childbirth educating education service um there is four of us in our practice we are all labor and delivery nurse trained um with the four of us, we have more than, don't judge us, over 100 years of experience <laughs> with the junior person uh, having at least 15 years. Um, so that tells you how much how much experience we have. Um, and, you know, I think really it came to, our dream came to fruition really because we have been in contact with so many patients that um, although many have said they've done um, a lot of reading, have done a lot of web searches on Google, um, or have had um, information from families or friends, or have attended some sort of childbirth class. When they've presented to the floor, they still seem to either have a lot of misinformation, or um, I don't want to say they were misguided to some point, but there was a lot of anxiety, mm -hmm. you know, which... Yes, it's normal to a degree mm -hmm. because, you know, that big day, you know, when you still present, it's like, oh my God, this is really happening. But there was still a lack, uh, definitely, there was still a lack of, um, I think, education or preparation for them. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think we brainstormed and we just said, you know, Helen had already been doing some childbirth education on her own. And we, you know, kind of just came together and said, you know, let's do this. You know, who better than to really put our population at ease and who better to educate than us. We do it. We live it. We breathe it on a daily basis. Um, I think the clinicians that we work with, they trust us. They trust our judgment. And we felt that we can deliver this same education in a nice, calm, um, calming manner. Um, and that's part of our, our philosophy um, and our mission with ease and to make sure we do it in a fun manner mm -hmm. that patients can really feel that when they walk out that they can know what they're preparing for and what to expect when they arrive to a labor floor and you don't need to just be delivering at our hospital 
but pretty much at any hospital mm-hmm. um, because we do have clients that come to us that may be delivering at a different hospital than ours. Um, but also, if you do deliver at our hospital, that you may see one of the friendly faces mm. from one of us when you attend our class, we might be there. And so we'd love to be able to continue or have that continuity of care with you when you come to the, to the labor floor. Okay. Does that leave me with anything to say? I think so. <laughs> I always have something to say. Because I'm true. known for this. Um, so we, we created a syllabus that we felt would encompass pretty much everything that people would need to know on the norm from when they start to come to see us and we recommend anything from 29 weeks to 33 weeks. Mm. That way it's early enough that we can address potential issues with prematurity or preterm contractions, moving onwards to the normal onset of labor, etc. And uh, discuss pain relief and then give further education with what to expect with your baby in the hospital. We like to think that we keep up to date. Most of us are certified in um, in inpatient, inpatient uh, obstetrics, which just means that we have we continue to do continuing education to keep up to date with the the new and improved knowledge that's coming out all trying to ensure that we give the safest information to people. And our goal is not to fill them so full of knowledge that they are, you know, overwhelmed. We we give access to information that we use, and there is extra reading if somebody truly wants to read more. (laughs) Uh, We've created videos on massage techniques that may be helpful, and these are fun. In fact, at classes, we used to do it, and Mm. but as the classes, class size got bigger, we found that we couldn't do the individualized teaching of every every unit, um, uh, you know, the couples that were coming. So we couldn't show the individual, but we created a video and believe that this can be helpful going forward with regard to pain relief. And, um, and then we found that people had questions and if we were limiting class size so that there was an element of intimacy involved so that people felt their questions were being answered. So we kind of thought there are five couples or more, two people would give the class so that we would be able to give the the questions, the time that was required just so that people would leave feeling more, more informed and less scared. And that is the goal. And still meeting our needs of attention, giving them, providing great attention. Absolutely. That's what Tony said. (laughs) And I have a question for you with all that you said. So what sets you apart from a doctor's office now? I know how I would answer that because I come from the healthcare field. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But for our listeners that may not be aware of the huge differences, (laughs) can you talk about what sets you apart? Well... As much as our doctors like to, and I think would like to spend more time with their patients, unfortunately, they are limited in their time just because of DRGs. You know, they are a lot of a certain amount of time. What's DRG, Tony? (laughs) Well, well, they are a lot of a certain amount of time. 
to spend with each patient, you know, mm. a certain amount for uh, an established patient, which is usually like 15 to 20 minutes per patient. A new patient, they may be allotted like 30 minutes, you know. Um, yes, you can call in if there is a, an issue, like if they're on call and whichever doctor calls in, you can call in the, the service will, you know, deliver that message and they'll call you back. But for us, we're that, um, that additional um, resource you could think of us as for the doctors, with the doctors. We work hand-in-hand hand with them. And so these practices that we work closely with um, basically entrust um, us with their patients as well because they see our um, syllabus. They see and they know how we work as we work with them hand-in-hand hand on a regular basis. So they know the type of um, care that we deliver as well as the information that we're providing. Mm -hmm. So we're able to work with them on a one-on-one -on -one basis, mm -hmm. right? So we can spend a little bit more time whereas their physicians aren't. So when we provide this education, now they may be able to take notes and streamline questions that they may still have for their doctors. So when they go to their visits, they can pick the most important things that they really want to focus on with their doctor. Mm -hmm. And their doctor can potentially now have that time to really answer what is most important to them that they haven't or that they didn't think that they had that time to do before. That you makes know? a lot of sense. Yeah. I think that's very valuable and a resource that people don't realize is there, is available. Right. And the fact that you're kind of a go-between or right. the negotiator, I don't know. It, maybe that's too much, that's too big of a word, but you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like you're the navigator. Facilitate. Yeah, facilitate. That's the word. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You I know, like and, and, and I think yeah. it takes some pressure off of the physicians mm -hmm. because they're trying to do their best by their um, their patients as well. Of course. But once again, there's so much time in a day mm -hmm. where they have to see X amount of patients. Right. And to be able to, once again, have that full amount of time to provide that same um, for each and every patient, sure. it's, it's pretty difficult, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And like Helen was saying, you know, it's great that some of the services that we are able to provide or some of the classes that we provide, um, besides our essential child care class, you know, we do prenatal lactation, we do infant child CPR, mm -hmm. we do um, newborn care class, mm -hmm. um, we do um, special circumstances, like if a mother or a couple knows that they may not be delivering by um, a vaginal delivery or can labor, and they are going to be scheduled for a C-section, mm -hmm. we do like the C-section prep class. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have many options and, you know, hope to be growing even more. Mm -hmm. So many options available. Helen, do you have anything to add? Hmm. <laughs> well, I... Uh... We just hope that, you know, because of all the information that's out there or, or people telling new parents or expectant parents, oh, this happened, this happened, this uh -huh. happened. This is not going to be your labor story. You create your story when your labor happens. Mm -hmm. It's your baby coming through your body with the powers of your contractions, and therefore it's individualized. Mm -hmm. And so... Our goal is to say, try not to pigeonhole yourself, take off the blinkers and know that you just take things one step at a time. And after our class, which is quite a long class, and we do agree and we warn people, don't go anywhere near the literature. Don't look and see. Don't look at the information. We say mm -hmm. the only one that you should look at is if you're going to deliver in our hospital is mm -hmm. that 
they do a, a tour of the hospital, which is online. Mm-hmm. And we also say, you can look at the video of, um, of massage techniques, if that's what you wish to do. But nothing that's involved with knowledge, solid, you know, solidification. Right. Nothing. Right. It's too much. Right. That's like, yeah. you, you. let's say I Google something yeah. with regard to my health. The, a list of things come on and I'm just like, oh my God, yeah, I'm going to die. <laughs> you know? Yes. I mean, yeah, I, I get And that's the idea of coming to the classes. Mm, sure. We're actually the translators from mm. the books to reality to the individual. Mm-hmm. I like mm. that. I like that too. Yeah. I just came up with that. High five. <laughs> I do too. Better write that one down. Um, Another thing that I wanted to talk about recently, some women have been open about discussing miscarriages. Most recently, Michelle Obama on her on her current tour that she has going, and also in her book, which I haven't read yet, but I have it, and Mm -hmm. so you have the book. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um, what do you think we as a society can do to create a safe space for women to openly talk about their experiences? With regard to issues like this, mm-hmm. or their fears, even. Would, Would you, you like to, to go first? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's stick with the roots. Oh my goodness! You're so kind. Well, I, you know, I definitely think just as women, we need to be supportive of one another, um, regardless of, of course, skin color, socioeconomic makeup. Um, like postpartum depression, which is another, you know, hot topic, um, there should be no barriers, you know, there's no taboo and, you know, we need to, it's healthy to discuss and to talk about that hurt because it's a part of you. So we need to, um, have these support groups. I think if, um, if you can't, if you feel like you can't speak to your doctor, I'm hoping that doctors are really having good conversation with our moms or our patients once they have these losses. And I think um, working at the institutions that I've been at, we when there are losses and we call them bereavements, um, there is so many resources. And um, the social workers, the staff involved, do a really good job of making sure that parents, because it is, a, it's, it's the couple, it's not just the mom, right. but it is the couple, that they know that they haven't done anything wrong. It's not their fault because that is the number one thing that moms have to understand, mm-hmm. that they didn't do anything wrong. Um, you know, sometimes it's just the makeup of the pregnancy that, um, you know, the body, unfortunately, is, it's, it's resilient. And it's, mm-hmm. what it's doing is, it's rejecting for whatever reason, mm-hmm. you know, this pregnancy. But um, but she needs to understand that. And although that pain at the moment is um, not going to go away, and to say, you know, you know, you can try again. Yes, she may, she may know that. What we need to instill that, but you know, getting her through this first part is really important. So it's really just making sure both both of them know that there are resources for both of them because mm-hmm. there are also resources for dads mm-hmm. because there, there are support groups for, for the husbands or the dads right. that they can speak on their mm-hmm. feelings mm-hmm. because 
they may not know how do I how do I support my significant other through this tough time. And it could have been whether it's their first, their third, you know, it's a loss is a loss. And they may be thinking, how how are they able to cope? You know, and, and if they have kids at home, then how do they explain to the siblings that, you know, they're because it depends on the gestational age, you know, that um, you know, this other this new addition is no longer going to be coming home. So mm-hmm. there's so many different um facets mm-hmm. to this. Sure. You know, so it's um it's big, mm-hmm. you know, but it's allowing them to talk, it's allowing to know um that we have resources available to them to be able to express mm-hmm. um their feelings, their thoughts, um, and just being there, I think, for them. Thank you. Um, well, I read up a little bit about this because mm-hmm. uh, we work more with the further advanced mm-hmm. uh, labor right, or sure. pregnancies. Yeah. However, we do take care of people on our labor floor mm-hmm. uh, who are 16 weeks and above who are losing pregnancies. Mm. And it's all of those hopes and dreams. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... We choose deliberately to look after these people on our labor floor because we feel that the bereavement effect is starting to be um, used at that stage. Mm. I personally take care of a lot of people who are who are going through loss. Mm-hmm. Um, I have. I think it's very important when somebody is taking care of somebody having a loss that mm-hmm. they're not afraid to express their own emotions. We've all dealt with loss. Sure. Uh, in whatever form, sure. the loss of a pet when you're a child, family members that you no longer have around. Um, and, and if you feel like you can't be empathetic or you can't show your emotions, then really that's not the place for you to be mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. The problem with miscarriage is it's so common it's one in four people mm. that lose a baby before that the end of that first uh, mm-hmm. the first trimester mm-hmm. and that's really because of chemically that the you know that the placenta doesn't really take over the work that right. it should do right and so that initial uh, that initial um, nutrient for that that developing zygote is no longer there. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of pregnancies that are lost. Sure. And possibly because it's so early and a lot of people don't even know mm. it's not it's not a known thing. You may mm. not you may just barely have gotten uh, missed a period or mm. two. You may have gotten that uh, that pregnancy test. The thing for women is they're very very they see that positive pregnancy test, especially when they've been trying to get pregnant mm-hmm. and the attachment is formed. Of course. And and it should be and mm-hmm. is because that's the nurturing nature mm-hmm. of the mom. Mm-hmm. Guys are uh, a little more concrete in their thinking. Mm-hmm. It does not mean that they're not as thrilled and excited. And you look at any of the YouTubes there when moms are giving this knowledge to their dads that uh, or partners that mm-hmm. they have got a pregnancy on mm-hmm. the way and the excitement is mm-hmm. palpable. However, sometimes it's the seeing of an ultrasound. It's the seeing of the movement of the limbs and the abdomen. Um, 
but even in the second trimester, it's 5% risk of, of uh, miscarriage. Wow. That's still quite a large a number lot. of pregnancies. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter when. You know, people don't know how to react, so they may use those words, you know, the baby wasn't born yet, you didn't get to hold the baby, mm -hmm. um, you, you know, you can try again. And, and yes, technically within six months trying again, physically you can probably get pregnant very quickly and be at a better chance of having a, a pregnancy that goes on to a, a healthy pregnancy and the delivery of a, a lovely healthy baby. Um, but emotionally, are you in that same place? Right. And so it's that, um, and really, it's it's that declaring of loss. You're mm -hmm. in, you're grieving, mm -hmm. you you're in denial, you're angry, you're bargaining. All those. Uh, it takes a long time to get to acceptance, and um, and depression is sometimes on that way as well. Sure. Uh, we we at the hospital we work at. And I'm not going to promote one hospital uh, ahead mm -hmm. of any other hospital. Mm -hmm. But we do have a bereavement um, ceremony once a year, which usually okay. happens at the end of October, beginning of November. Mm. So we're coming into that winter months. We're coming into those more religious times mm -hmm. of all saints, all souls, etc. But we have a multi-denominational um, service whereby we give flowers to people, they're encouraged to read poetry they've right. written, uh, we have music, uh, it's, it's not the most solemn, mm -hmm. but yet it gives people a place to go to grieve sure. on that day, mm -hmm. and, and knowing for people that they're going to have triggers like mm -hmm. family members having birthday parties, uh, you know, do you really want to go to a family's house, family member's house around the time when there's a baby shower? It takes a long while before people know what to do there. And whether you've, uh, in my culture, in Irish culture, we do not buy stuff until the end. We're very, very superstitious. Mm. Um, um, but in, in a lot of different cultures and, and maybe, you know these you know these having having uh showers etc people get a lot of gifts and mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff prepared and ready for that baby and until you're ready you don't know what you want to do and people shouldn't try to make uh try to uh, make up your mind what you need to do with that that's that, a very um, good point <laughs> with that that yeah. stuff yeah. that you have yeah. and, and whether you need to keep it someplace mm -hmm. safe mm -hmm. for another time mm -hmm. or hold on to it for a later date or hand it over to somebody mm -hmm. else, donate it. Right. That is your choice and it's the right choice for right. you. And it's an individual decision. That's it. But people should never feel like mm -hmm. they have to be isolated mm -hmm. and alone with this mm -hmm. information mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. with those numbers of one in four... Mm. If you're sitting at a table with four women, wow. one of those women has had a miscarriage, maybe oh. more than one, wow. and the table next to you, same. Hmm. So why put it under the, the rug? Right. right. People right. need support. Sure, absolutely. That's why I think it's great that women have been 
vocalizing it more. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important. Which also brings me to my next uh, question. Because um, we talked about a little bit, Internet, you brought up postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. And I feel like now I hear more of it. And I know with my experience, I have dealt with moms, new moms, that are going through postpartum depression. But what are some signs and symptoms that loved ones, like partners, friends, family members can look out for as far as possible indicators? I think that's a great question. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things, which is good, what we also discuss once again, you know, I think within our society, this is one of those questions that's like taboo. Mm. No one really wants to address it. And one of the things that we talk about in our class, um, you know, even if it's just so that dads are aware, um, I like to say to them, when you get to go to an appointment with mom, Mm -hmm. make it a point to take her doctor's card. Why? Because you're mom's best friend. You know her best, right? So when you see that she's not engaging, okay, with yourself or the baby. Now, baby blue is completely normal, right? So, you know, there's a level of um, hormonal shifts with pregnancy. After pregnancy, your your hormones are going to start to shift and decrease um, one over the other with the progesterone, um, estrogen. But there's a significant change with postpartum depression, mm-hmm. right? So mom really is withdrawn. She can be withdrawn. Um, once again, not engaging, maybe not engaging with the baby, um, sleeping a lot, um, not eating, um, crying a lot. And you say like, why are you crying? And she, she's like, I don't know. You know, um, these are like indicators that something is not right. And that's when I say to them, you take up that card, and you call the doctor. Hmm. You let them know what you are seeing, okay? Because usually they should be saying, okay, you need to bring her into the office, right? right? A lot of times they would um, draw some levels, you know, bloods to see what her levels are like. And hopefully they are going to refer you to maybe a psychologist Mm -hmm. to start, you know, talking. They'll probably start the conversation, but they should also be referring, hopefully, to a psychologist. Mm. Because we know that there can be some levels of that um, depression when moms may start, you know, talking. Right. You know, you can get some information. And that specialist with um, postpartum, because they have some doctors who definitely specialize in postpartum depression, mm. you know. Um, there can be severe cases where mm. we've actually had... Um, postpartum psychosis Mm. you know so it's it's very important to be cognizant or to be in tuned with you know um one's personalities or just how they are afterwards Mm -hmm. you know we also tell patients you know it's it's okay to feel overwhelmed as a new mom or dad Mm -hmm. you know um, because this is all new, whether it's your first baby, whether it's your third, whether it's your fifth, you know, it's, new. <laughs> it's still new, right? Yeah. And, um, cause you're responsible for one baby. You're going to be responsible now for your third baby. It's like, um, if you, if it's getting to you or that cry, you know, put the baby down, mm-hmm. close the door for a moment, you know, phone a friend. Mm-hmm. Like we just used to say phone a friend, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> because you know, you might just be feeling like you're having a breaking point. Mm-hmm. Really important. You know, to, to kind of just recognize mm-hmm. certain things mm-hmm. and 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 act on it. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Helen. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I was actually, again, surprised by the numbers. Uh, so one in 10 will develop. Wow, really? Will develop a, a longer lasting depression wow. that goes beyond that first two weeks, which mm -hmm. is baby blues. Uh, that should be totally self-limiting. And that's the normal dysphoria with uh, lack of sleep. Mm -hmm. And that kind of relates to 3 million Americans annually that mm -hmm. uh, suffer from postnatal or postpartum depression. Mm. Um, so that feeling, as, as Tony said, about hopelessness, sadness, and thinking that everybody else can do better for your baby than you can, and that you're almost transfixed and say, do I, my baby's crying, do I get out of bed mm -hmm. to change that? Do I have the energy to do that? Um, I don't really feel like I want to eat. I can hardly even wash myself. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, those are very abnormal signs. And so um, you may have lost the, the realization yourself, but mm -hmm. those around you surely haven't. Mm -hmm. They may be struggling as well with the lack of sleep and having a new baby. But um, although when you come home initially, it's kind of prudent to take the phone off the hook a bit and reduce the number of hours when you're going to have an open door policy um, to maybe one and a half hours so that you get the opportunity to sleep when your baby's sleeping, mm. which, you know, people can't emphasize enough. And, and I'm following up with people we've given classes to, they mm -hmm. said, if only we could have, which is why we try to reiterate with people give yourselves that period of time one two weeks where you literally take the phone off the hook mm. unless you're reaching out to people right. and then maybe having um, an hour to an hour and a half when you say okay call me at this time usually the baby already is is waking up and um, the most important thing is to ask for help don't isolate yourself, ask for help, and uh, be realistic about your expectations about having a new baby. Everybody thinks, oh, it's the most wonderful time of your life. How could you be anything other than happy? This is possibly the hardest job you're ever going to do. And uh, that these babies, they just don't come with any any bookbinder right. um, and a Google account. They, they, <laughs> they literally, and what's right one minute is not right the next. Just be reassured that um, sometimes it's that person who has those unrealistic expectations. In other words, you think the baby needs far more than the baby does. And you try to achieve it all. You're placing failure in front of yourself and therefore being overwhelmed by feelings of guilt that are totally unnecessary. But depression in itself is an illness. It's a, it's a chemical thing. Mm -hmm. It needs help. If you were a diabetic, you would take insulin. And therefore, you have got to realize that if you need medication to save your life at that mm -hmm. time and to allow you to get back to being able to feel that this is your baby and I can be happy about it and to be able to look after your baby uh, again because you're now able to look after yourself again, then please never hesitate. Mm -hmm. It's would be potentially self-limiting however in severe depression people can hurt themselves and mm. they can hurt the baby and um it's uh, just not worth it i think 
you have to know and those around you have to realize that you're not yourself and that it's important to reach out for help and that it's nothing to do with what you've done you've mm -hmm. got to reach out for help you've not you've not you've not got to take guilt on board and you've got to treat yourself carefully and then involving potentially the the ability to exercise get out in the fresh air mm. walk when you're able to have somebody with you um, go walking bring your baby out walking with you um, allow other going. people to kind of occasionally you can express breast milk etc even if you're on medications these these uh, these um, it's still safe to give your baby nutrition. Uh, your doctors aren't going to prescribe something that is going to be contraindicated. Mm. Now, obviously, we all think take nothing, take nothing. But mom's safety and baby's safety, if you have a, a happier, healthier mom, mm. whether she be taking medication to bring her level of mood to a state where she can look after herself and her baby, it's so important that you do that. Sure. They go hand in hand. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, and, and there's massage, acupressure, acupuncture, yoga. Give yourself some time for you. Mm -hmm. It's very important. Absolutely. Most of all, just remember there's nothing to be ashamed about. You just listened to part one of Maternal Health and Wellness with Antoinette Grant and Helen O'Keefe. Stay tuned for part two of our conversation where we go even deeper with regard to postpartum depression and why it's important for loved ones, whether it's a partner, friend, or family that notices some of the signs. And also some tips on how to help expectant parents who may need support. Whether you are a new or an expectant parent, know that organizations such as Fledging Families could be very helpful for you and your partner. So talk with your doctor, find out if they have some sort of partnership with an organization that provides childbirth education. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend about the Misguided Notions podcast.